All right, welcome to Cryptic Cocktails. I'm Kevin Carlo. I'll be your host. So we're going to get into some stuff tonight. Uh, I thought about the idea of Gnosticism and what it means to be a bartender and what it means to be a Gnostic and whether we're all Gnostics, whether we're kind of Gnostic. I, I don't really know where to draw the line, but let's start with the cocktail first. So this is about going back to your roots. And this is about thinking about when you first started bartending and about the bartending community and what you drank and so I figured no better no better cocktail to start with than a Boilermaker, um, frankly, because that's what most of us drink when we get off work. We have a beer and a shot. Sometimes we drop the shot in the beer, sometimes we don't, but Boilermaker seems to be a, a consistent thing amongst bartenders from all over the world that I've talked to. It's, it's simple, it's elegant, it's delicious, and it gets the job done, frankly. And uh, what I really like about it is it's not full of itself. It's not esoteric. It's not exotic. It's about as blue-collar proletariat as you get, which I think for most of us, when we get so wrapped up in all the minutia of cocktails, we want something really easy at the end of the night, like a Negroni or maybe an old-fashioned or a daiquiri or something like very simple. And I think a beer and a shot is sort of the the epitome of that. So uh, tonight I'm doing a, an American whiskey that you might have heard of and a Mexican beer that you probably heard of as well, but I'm not doing brands here. So, so pick your own and pick your own poison and join me. And I would advise you to either take the shot and drink the beer or drop it in, whatever you're feeling, depending on your night. And uh, let's dive into this. Let's talk about Gnosticism. Let's talk about bartending Gnosticism. And let's talk about how we act and, and what we do and like kind of getting back to the beginner's mind here and, and, and trying to embrace the things that, we, that we're sick of and realizing where we're coming from on this. So that's, that's the point for tonight. So uh, bear with me. Thank you. So now that we all have our Boilermakers, let's talk a little bit about Gnosticism. So this is kind of a tricky subject, and, and I don't want to like you know lay anything really heavy on anybody right away and talk about different schools of thought and different religions and different sort of uh, magical slash religious practices that were going on in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, because I want to keep it light. You know, Hopefully we'll have some guests on down the road and we can get a little deeper into the subject. I would say if, if the subject intrigues you, check out Aeon Byte. It's the uh, premier uh, Gnostic podcast, in my opinion, with an excellent host. So if you want to dig a little deeper on Gnosticism, go check out Miguel Connor. Um, but for tonight, what will serve the purpose is the Gnostics were hmm, kind of hard to pin down because we're going based off of documents. We're going based off of things that were written by their enemies. But basically, they didn't call themselves Gnostics. Gnostic... Um, means like the people that know or something like that. Like I kind of take it as a term that means smart ass because I feel like a lot of people that were called Gnostics were looked down upon because, well, I guess the basic, the basic premise of Gnosticism, if you really want to try to find like an umbrella term is that you distrust the creation story that you heard and distrust like what people told you about why you're alive. And most Gnostics believe that there is something, you know, along the lines of a, of a, a demiurge, a craftsman. It goes back to sort of Platonic Hellenic beliefs. Uh, there's also, a, you know, it, it, then it kind of crosses streams with, with sort of Judaism and, and some of the other the, the trends that were going on in the Middle East and, and the Mediterranean at the time. So it's kind of hard to pin down exactly what Gnosticism means, but Typically, it means you distrust the creator of the universe and his machinations or the archons. And the archons are the things that keep you in place. So the idea is, and again, this is very stripped down. The idea is that there's this 
sort of um, non-created part of God that created the whole universe through a dropping down through channels, which as a tarot card reader is unveiled in the tarot cards because you go, you know, from your ace down to your ten, and, and all the trumps have a certain certain order to them. So there's a little bit of that, and I see why people tie in tarot with this a lot, but. So basically, we're all fallen parts of God that forgot that we were part of the original Godhead, and that there are forces in place to keep us there. And it's sort of a pessimistic view. Uh, there is generally some sort of a messianic figure, at, uh, either named Sophia or some sort of Jesus variation, that will come and save us at the end of time if we you know, sort of think about things the right way. And you can call them the first conspiracy theorists, because the Gnostics we're very well aware that the kings and the rulers and the businessmen and, and their lackeys ruled everything. So it's not like today where we have this like idea, American dream, and a lot of people do make it from nothing. And, and you have that. You didn't have that back then. Nobody ever made it from nothing back then, or very few people did. So you have this concept of they already knew they were being trotted on by their leaders. So why wouldn't that work out to a higher level to like the, the creator God? Like why wouldn't the whole structure of the universe as above, so below, in terms of a hermetic aspect, why wouldn't that transfer over to human existence? So that's sort of their, I think a lot of sensitive souls that see the suffering in the world would really relate to that. I think there's a little bit of that in Buddhism as well. I think there's a little cross-pollination between Buddhism and Gnosticism, but I'm not a scholar. I can't say that for a fact, but I am drawn to both. I would not call myself either, but I'm drawn to both schools of thought, and they're both they're both listed there. But the one thing about the Gnostics is, and the reason people didn't like them, was because they had this, this sort of uh, self-proclaimed inner knowledge about how the universe worked. And if you weren't on their level, then you were controlled. You were a slave of the Archons. You were a slave of the Demiurge. And, and you didn't have the substance to break free from that. So therefore, you had to keep like you know reincarnating or whatever. You know, they, all the schools have different different thoughts about like how you get out of it. But so they were a little bit ahead of you, and and that's sort of uh, where I'm going to leave it right now before I start talking about how that relates to bartending. All right, now that we've had that drink, we can start talking about how Gnosticism relates to bartending, and in a way, we're sort of the Gnostics because drinking for most people is something they do. It's, it's a social interaction. It's a social lubricant. It's just something that's like part of your life. You get together with friends and you want to talk about things and you want to have a drink, but you may not be thinking too hard about what you want to drink. You just want to get your buzz on. So you look at all these mysterious bottles with these like, you know, clear spirits and brown spirits and everything in between. And, and you're sort of looking at them and you don't know the difference. And half the time your bartender doesn't know the difference either. So you go by what your friends are drinking and, and what you think is cool or what you've been told is cool. And that's sort of the bartending equivalent of the archons. They're keeping you in a frame. Like you drink what people who look like you drink and who act like you drink. And now we're getting kind of archons out of archons into this concept called egregores, which I will get into in a later podcast. But the archons with drinking are the ones that made all of the, you know, the vodka woo girls from two years ago. Now all of a sudden they're obsessed with mezcal. You know that that made white claw a thing. You know, and and these things come and go. Fireball seven years ago. There 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 are constantly these trends and this zeitgeist that gets you drawn into drinking things that you think you're supposed to drink based on your cultural status, based on your you know how you grew up, who your friends are, what social ladder you're climbing at the time. And as bartenders, we're sort of 
I like to say we're immune to that, but we're also sort of working with them in a weird way. So I don't think a lot of bartenders were pitching Tito's or Casamigos, and I, I don't want to drop any more brands because I, I'm not trying to diss brands here, but these, these things, like we were pushing Mezcal so hard, and then Mezcal backfired in our faces, and now Mezcal is now the new smoky vodka. So we have to be really careful, I think, to a certain extent of what we promote and if we're promoting it for the right reasons, because at the end of the day, most of us, I feel like, drink pretty simple drinks, and we appreciate a good cocktail now and then, and we appreciate putting something really good into somebody's mouth. <laughs> we would rather turn them on to something amazing with a little bit of history that, you know, that's really cool and that we're really proud of making. At the end of the day, though, most of us are pretty laid back and we just, we tend to have a shot of tequila, you know, a shot of whiskey, and, and we're pretty chill about it. And that doesn't seem to translate towards how we talk to people that come in. And I have to figure all the stupid questions we hear every night that makes us want to you know, shove an ice pick in our eyeball. I have to figure that a lot of times we're doing that in some other aspect of our lives to some other profession where they're so sick of us hearing some stupid question over and over again. And I think we're pretty good at handling that. I know, I know I guffaw from time and time again. I totally caught to the arrogance of craft cocktail bartending where, you know, I definitely do judge based on what people are drinking and sometimes forget that these people probably have very active, very good lives and, they just want to have a drink with their friends. They don't want to think too much about it. And I, I think it comes back to if you're going to follow a mystical path, you have to separate yourself from being losing your tranquility over that. And that's a struggle for me. And I feel it's a struggle for a lot of you out there too, I'm sure, especially bartenders. And I'm sure other people who aren't bartenders who are listening to this, I'm sure in your profession, you have the same question of like something with vodka, not too sweet, but you're, you know, you have a different version of that for your profession. And I think that's that's where we all need to, to sort of step back and re-examine. And remember, like, especially in my industry, they're coming in to give you money. And even though I might let out a guffaw once in a while when somebody literally says exactly what's written on our sign about, we already know you would owe anything too sweet, it's very hard to, uh, to, to sort of internalize that. Because when you hear the same question 20 times a day, you're sort of, you're so just, you're so over it. And... I feel like a lot of professions probably have the same thing. There's probably a lot of people who are working at the DMV who hear the same question over and over again, or, or, or at the doctor's office who hear the same question over and over again. And that, that's where the Gnosticism comes in. Like, let's, let's actually be wise and not just be wise asses.